Hello, Husky fans, and welcome to another installment of the UConn Pod. This is Amon Kidwai. I'm joined by Dan Connolly and Dan Madigan. We've got a lot of great stuff today, including uh, in this women's basketball-focused podcast, a conversation between Howard Megdal and Renee Montgomery. Uh, we hope you enjoy that conversation, but first, we'll dive into the news in the NBA. Swin Cash, a former women's basketball uh, star for the Huskies and also for 15 years in the WNBA, recently made some waves as she was announced vice president of basketball operations slash team development for the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, Looks like a pretty solid role for her there with a team that's going to have Zion Williamson at some point down the road, most likely. And looks like it's a little bit more uh, structured and solid of a role than some of the other uh, former WNBA players who we're seeing in the in the NBA, right, guys? Yeah, I, I agree. I think this, you know, other than maybe Becky Hammond and Lindsey Gottlieb, who got hand, uh, you know hired by the Cavs today, uh, this definitely seems like one where Swin is going to have the most impact, um, at least on the overall team, not necessarily day to day, like. Hammond and Christy Tolliver with the Wizards had. So uh, it'll be definitely interesting to see how this pans out. I think, you know, she's got tons of basketball experience. She definitely knows her stuff. She did well as an analyst at Turner, Spar- at Turner Sports in Atlanta, which is how she met uh, Pelican's executive vice president of basketball operations, David Griffin. So that was a connection that kind of led her to New Orleans. But I think this is a, you know, a great hire for the Pelicans. It's a no brainer. Someone kind of tapping into a market that that hasn't been tapped into at all yet uh, of talented basketball minds. So um, kind of a good time for some former UConn athletes too. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, there's a handful of really, really talented UConn women's basketball players like Diana Tarazi, Maya Moore, um, even Tina Charles as she's, you know, a few years out from retiring, but um, they're getting towards the end of their career. And I wouldn't be surprised if they get snapped up by other NBA front offices in, in the future, just because uh, their basketball legacies kind of speak for themselves. Yeah, I remember Sue Bird when when you know her role was announced. It was like she's joining the front office and will be key to the team. And what a wonderful opportunity for her! And 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 it certainly is. And she's you know doing it while continuing her playing career, but didn't seem like um, you know as carved out a role as uh, this one is for Swin Cash. So yeah, I mean you know amazing breakthrough and. Like you said, I think there are there are a lot of UConn former UConn Huskies in line to make um, that kind of move and just continue to demonstrate, you know how how much their success has been underrated and how much it is widely respected in the basketball world, regardless of gender. Um, speaking of the current women's basketball team, we recently found out that there were two Huskies that recently underwent surgery. Uh, Connolly, what is the prognosis on uh, Evina Westbrook and Crystal Dangerfield, uh, who we received a joint press release about uh, the both of them going uh, undergoing surgery? So Westbrook had surgery on her knee, and Dangerfield had surgery on her hip. Both of them are supposed to be out until pretty much like the end of. September, like early October. So it should get them back in time for the preseason. I think things would really have to go wrong for either player to miss any regular season time. And then of course with Westbrook, 
we still don't even know if she's going to be able to play this year as UConn waits on a waiver. So I think neither of them in itself are super concerning for their overall health. I think Dangerfield's injury is kind of, kind of has a similar feel to Samuelson's injury last year, just in that one of the best players on the team isn't going to be with the team for summer workouts. And last year, Lou mentioned how it was almost a blessing in disguise because she was able to become more cerebral with the game. Obviously we saw Gino Gerger some coaching opportunities during the year. So I think if Dangerfield can kind of sit back, watch some more film, watch the team develop, and then on the court during summer workouts, it's going to give more chances to players like Molly Bent, Kristen Williams, the players that probably wouldn't be running the point as much with if Dangerfield was out there are now going to be able to get to do it more. And the thing that's tough about Westbrook is these summer workouts are really when the team gets to start building the chemistry, get to play with each other for the first time. So it's kind of tough that she's going to miss all of that because if hopefully she does get that waiver, she's going to be coming into preseason basically not basically never having played with any of her teammates except for in the preseason. So that might just put her behind the ball a little bit, just getting in with the offense, getting the game plans down, getting the chemistry down with the other team. I think that's where it's really going to hurt because you've we were supposed to only have one new player coming in this year with Aubrey Griffin. Now you have four new players that you're trying to work in. And we've talked about how many guards they have. I think the odds of it happening are kind of low, but like Molly Bent could just decide she's going to be good as a senior, like a Kelly Ferris type senior year. And then you have another body in it guard. And then we don't really know what Ania Makarat's going to be doing at guard. So there's a lot of bodies there. And I think the fact that Westbrook's not going to be involved in those summer competitions and with the team and practices and that kind of thing is, is going to set her back a little bit, but if she does get the waiver to play, she'll be able to get into the mix pretty quickly, but it's never a good sign to see players get surgeries, but hopefully it'll fix any lingering issues they have going into the year so they can be fully healthy and not have to worry about anything lingering. Yeah, I think, Dan, it'll be interesting to see kind of what you said, how Westbrook integrates with the team on the court. Um, she'll have plenty of time to do stuff off the court, obviously. Uh, a little concerned about Dangerfield's hip just because she had hip surgery as a freshman uh, right before she came to campus in June. Uh, it's unclear whether it was the same hip or not. In during her freshman year, they said, or before her freshman year, they said it was for a pre-existing con- condition. So it's unclear if that's related, but you know, it might not affect her senior season, but as she prepares to be a legitimate WNBA draft prospect, that could kind of knock her chances. Uh, as you know, I'm sure there's going to be questions on those surgeries and her durability overall. So um, it'll be interesting what she can do to kind of rebound from that and, and, you know, ball out her senior season and see where she can take the Huskies. Yeah. I mean, I think so, just one other note on Dangerfield is that uh, I think this makes it pretty clear. She was she was really playing through something uh, all across last season, and and that kind of impacted uh, impacted her ability to really make her presence felt uh, in the games. Given that a lot of her success is predicated on kind of explosion and and speed and and you know those kinds of plays. So um, yeah, hope hope she can make a full recovery. 
because she she's obviously a very dynamic player and um, you know, again, the Huskies will have really high expectations going into next season, no matter what. Um, I know, you know, reasonable to uh, temper things given what, given everything we know, but uh, no matter what, obviously UConn women's basketball goes into their season with, with really high expectations and the version of the season where it does go better than expected. You got to imagine it's involving Dangerfield being able to, to take a step forward. So then I think, you know, something just worth mentioning while we're on the topic of the women's basketball team, Nafisa Collier is having a heck of a start to her WNBA career. She was drafted by the Minnesota Lynx. Uh, so far, she's been posting some big numbers. I think she had, what, 27 points in her first game. Um, I mean, not not surprising to see uh, – to see that Nafisa Collier is doing well and her game is translated to the WNBA, I think most surprising is that it, it's happened so so quickly and kind of immediately. But even that is not so so surprising. Yeah, no, I death taxes and Fisa tearing up whatever league she's playing in. I think it was like you said. I think it's a little quicker than we all expected, but it was gonna come sooner or later. So it's it's cool that it's happening this quickly for her and. Like Gino said a lot this past season, Fisa's just a machine. She doesn't have blood. You just cut her open and there's wires. She just doesn't stop. And clearly that type of game is translating well into the WNBA. So hope, hopefully she can just adjust to what defenses are going to start doing to her. But I imagine she will be able to. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, I've got the NBA Finals on my mind here, but she kind of reminds me of like the, the female Kawhi, right? I know there's a lot of uh, you know press pieces saying that she – you know, is a lot more enthusiastic and all that off the court. And I'm sure she is, but it seems like on the court, she's all business and she just kind of does her thing. Like you said, Dan, no matter what league she's in, I think she's, you know, one of the top, if not the top scorer amongst WNBA rookies this year doing 13 plus points a game. So um, she's kind of adjusted to the pro game nicely. And I've been able to see some, some highlights and it looks like she's kind of added some pieces uh, over the summer or the short off season that they had to her game to kind of help her succeed at the next level. So it'll be really interesting to see her career develop over the next few years, but yeah, it's uh, not that surprising that she's having a lot of success at the next level. Hey, how about some ads? Speaking of Nafisa Collier, we, when we had a chance to speak with Renee Montgomery, she mentioned that Collier was one of the most impressive Huskies she's seen join the league in the past few years. Uh, we had a great conversation with Renee, led by our own Howard Megdal. Uh, she touched on living in Atlanta, uh, the arc of her career, and what might be in store for her next, including uh, her budding acting career. We'll toss it to Howard now and enjoy. Renee, the place I guess I want to start is just when in the lead up, we saw not just a number of players go down to injury, but very specifically, UConn players go down to injury, whether it was Sue, whether it was Stewie, you know, whether it's Diana. I wonder whether you thought that there's some sort of UConn curse going on with the 2019 WNBA season. Oh, my God. Oh, I did, I did not even put any thought to it at all. That's the first I've even put that together. So, no, I don't think there's a curse. I think, you know, with sports, you just can't determine. You know, you can do all the right stuff and still get hurt. So, sports, it's one of those things. I mean, part of it is just that there are so many UConn players in the WNBA at 
you know, by definition, that comes into play as well. But obviously, you know, you guys have, uh, you know, both you and Tiff uh, playing in Atlanta. And I guess I wonder, you know, does that play a part in the way there's initial connections made between teammates, you know, either just the fact that you have that shared experience or the fact that uh, you guys are playing, uh, you know, at different times through a similar system playing for Geno? Yeah, I think there's that common connection that we all understand how to prepare for games, um, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. So once you know that somebody's went through the whole UConn system and played for UConn, you know that they'll have a certain level of standards that you have. Mm -hmm. And specific to the question of injury before we get off of it, because there is a bigger question to be answered there and, and a more, more serious one, which is the number of times that players are required to play 12-month seasons. And I wonder, A, how you have found uh, the ability to handle that, how, you know, how you manage that, and, and B, how significant a factor that is in what you are looking for out of a new CBA, uh, you know, which is obviously being currently negotiated. Yeah, so for me, um, I did 10 years straight with the, the overseas and WNBA both seasons. And like I said before, it's, it's just a blessing that I've been able to stay healthy. Um, it's not that I do anything better than anyone else. Um, I know some of the healthiest people uh, get hurt. So it's not that I've done anything special or particular. I've just been really blessed. Um, I did it for 10 years. Last year was the first year I took completely off from overseas. Um, and I don't plan on going overseas anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just it's, – it's tough. It's tough because your body really never has that rest and recovery time. Um, you're just like you finish one season and two weeks later you're on to the next and in a whole nother country starting a brand new season and it's mentally taxing it's physically taxing so so yeah going into the CBA if we were to get paid more that would tremendously help in a sense that <clears throat> a lot of players wouldn't feel the need to maybe still go overseas because it's hard to turn down you know money that's been offered to you mm -hmm. uh, but, but if we do get paid more maybe some people might choose to turn it down to to think that they can still live a comfortable life. Well, and, and not only the, the financial question of it, right, but it's also, you know, as you're putting your life together in your 20s and early 30s, and I don't think people think about it in those terms, from just a personal perspective, from the ability to pursue different avenues as well. I mean, you know, acting being uh, what you've looked to become as a professional. Yeah, it does. And so that's, and so basically I call myself, I'm investing in myself when I choose not to go overseas and turn down that guaranteed money. I'm investing in myself and trying to give myself the opportunity to be prepared for life after basketball because, um, you know, with sports, well, you know, it's funny because you'll tell people like, you know, I'm a, I'm old when it comes to, to basketball. I'm 11 years deep. And people that are actually older laugh at me like, oh, you're not old, you know. But in the sports world, we age differently. At 32, I'm, I'm a vet. Like, I've been in the league 11 years. That's, that's older. I'm not at the beginning of my career. So I am making sure that, like, I'm starting to do things that when I am finished playing, I don't know if that's in three years, four years, five years. But I just want to make sure that when I am finished that I, I transition smoothly into life after basketball. So, and so that, if people sorry, were, if people did have an off season, no, sorry, it's no problem. But if people did have an off season, they could start doing that at a younger age, and they could have years of experience, a lot of years of experience when they're done playing, or 
have careers while they're playing, like a Shanae Gumake or a Candace Parker who's on TV, or, and other people that, you know, um, Monique Curry and Marissa Coleman and them, they're in the restaurant business, Elena Beer. So you can start doing things earlier. It's astonishing to me how many WNBA players are capable of doing that as it is while playing overseas, while managing uh, to balance these careers. I, obviously, for you, uh, this most recent offseason, uh, acting was one of the pathways that you pursued. So I'm wondering if you could tell me about your experience. You were uh, in the movie Not My Favorite Christmas. And in that way, you know, you're talking about you're an 11 year vet as a player, but uh, certainly as uh, a rookie, as a rookie actor, I'm wondering what was new and what was different. Yeah. Oh, I was very uncomfortable. You know, it's like in a sense you're starting all over. Um, basketball, you know, I kind of know it in and out as far as how the game should be played, the X's and O's. Um, so then when I get to the acting world and I'm I'm in class, and even though I, I started out in the beginner class, I'm now intermediate. But even though I started out in the beginner class, I was still like bottom level of the beginners because a lot of the people in my class had took theater in college and theater in high school and they did plays and they you know they had a baseline of of theatrics and and the film industry and stuff like that when I was in like my beginner starting point was like level the the lowest level you can get you know like I was in there with the other beginners but they had already had some type of previous experience on acting on performing um so it was interesting to me it was a whole new world and and Obviously, I'm competitive, so I didn't want to, like, be at the, the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> and right. so it was, it was crazy because I kind of moved up pretty quickly to intermediate. Um, and a lot of people actually thought I had had previous experience, even though I hadn't. Had you thought about this growing up, you know, as, you, as you're playing ball? Is it something where you're thinking, gee, this is a path I also would like to pursue? Definitely. And I want to not even just acting, just, you know, a lot of things that you learn in acting help you with TV. So I really want to do hosting you know, interviews on the red carpet, host a TV show, the Michael Strahan career, I would love to follow in his blueprint. Blueprint. Um, so a lot of this is just teaching me, you know, on camera, how to perform on camera, and definitely have thought about that. Uh, I worked with ESPN, did a few college games at a certain point, um, maybe uh, five or six years ago, but yeah, it's definitely something I want to pursue, yeah, that, and I've been thinking about pursuing and was curious about that because I, I know you had the broadcasting background as well. You, you view them as one and the same. You view it as an opportunity uh, to do a little bit of both uh, once, once basketball is finished and even it seems before basketball is finished. Yeah, um, I, I think that you can do both. Um, when you're playing overseas, obviously you can't do a physical um, job as far as like being at a game and commentating a game, but you can do both. And now that I'm not going overseas, I do want to do some commentating and I do want to get into some more hosting and some more acting. So now that I'm not playing overseas, I have like a whole six, six and a half, seven months to where I can still be training while doing all these things. Do we have another movie in the pipeline? Is there, is there a next movie as of right now? Or is that still a TV date? We actually do. Um, it's called Desert Lily. We're in the ADR part of it where um for people that don't know that for you like if the mic doesn't pick up what you said clearly um you do adr where it's in a studio and you say the lines again so that the lines can be heard clearly um on on the movie film so this is a full feature length um and it's called desert lily uh i'm going to be filming another one called girls day out um i just auditioned for one 
ironically has Lily in it as well, stolen Lily. Um, but yeah, it's it's still, and that's what I said, it's still things that you can do while still training. Um, the people I've been working with have done a great job of working around my schedule. So it's it's been good. You know, people talk about the EGOT, and I think it's interesting that nobody talks about the opportunity to win both an Academy Award and a WNBA championship. But I think that shouldn't be an opportunity for you to pursue. But that is an interesting opportunity. That would be it would be great to be the first. <laughs> I'll tell you that. That would be a good first to be. Agreed. Agreed. Well, it sounds like you're well on your way. Let, let's let's talk a little bit about the WNBA as well, because there's obviously uh, a lot to get into, not only uh, league-wide, but also obviously the significance of the role you've taken on with the dream. And I'd love to get a sense, big picture from you before we get into the Atlanta part of it. It's just over this period of time, over this decade plus that you've been uh, a professional player, what has the biggest evolution been in terms of quality of play, in terms of type of play that you have seen in the WNBA? Uh, I would say, I mean, the style of play, you, that, that can't be ignored where the athleticism now, the younger players, how athletic they are, um, that just can't be ignored. So that's definitely high on the list. But one thing that I'm seeing evolve is that, you know, when the WNBA first came out, you saw they were on a lot of different commercials and different TV shows and different things of that nature. But what I'm starting to see now is, is in the evolution is that a lot of WNBA players are taking business roles where mm-hmm. I just saw Swin Cash just got a job with the Pelicans, Sue Bird at the Denver Nuggets, uh, Becky Hammond with the Spurs, Chrissy Tolliver with the so I'm starting to see the evolution of like WNBA players are now getting managerial roles and, and coaching roles. And that's something that like it, it never happened. So the level of confidence that people have and the knowledge that WNBA players have is starting to be respected more. And I think that's, that's huge. Even Candace Parker getting a TNT spot sitting alongside Shaq and Kenny and them. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's almost like there's been this collective sudden realization that, the level of expertise of players who are in the WNBA is something transferable to these other walks of basketball life. Exactly. And it's like, and like you said, it's like sudden in a sense that within the past two or three years, this has started happening. It's not like this is over this. It's not like this is over a long extended amount of time. This is over the past two or three years. This has been happening. I remember Becky Hammond getting that role with the Spurs and it was groundbreaking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, it, it's fascinating how quickly it's happened, but I think there's an understanding finally at long last, and it, it, it should happen 20 years ago. Oh, oh, we might know what we're talking about. You just you broke up on me a little bit there, Renee. I'm sorry. You say oh, I was saying it, like, it was kind of like they said, wow, we've been playing basketball too. Like, so maybe they do know what they talk about. So it's really interesting that like, just, just over, like I, I'd say within the past five years that yeah. like, it's just been this explosion of job opportunities. And I love it. And I think it's great because those types of opportunities open doors for more players and, and more people's eyes to be open for jobs like that. A hundred percent. And and again, when women can work in men's basketball, it helps to equal the playing field when you know, obviously there's so many men working women's basketball, which is fine in and of itself. But if you have men working in both men's and women's basketball and women have a finite amount of opportunities, you're never going to achieve true equality. So it's a wonderful thing. Exactly. And, and we're seeing it on the court too. Which, you know, something that I find fascinating is the evolution of even the three-point shot 
has been significant and if anything just as just as significant in the women's game as the men's game you last year had your most three-point attempts uh, per game in any single season. It's always been a critical part of what you've done dating back to your rookie season. But I wonder whether you see more opportunity and specifically on the court, if there's the spacing is allowing you to get more of those chances uh, in a given game. I think it's, I think, you know, and it's the same thing kind of about, it's the analytics. So, you know, coaches break down the analytics and there's an ebb and flow of things. And so the analytics have been broken down to where coaches are like, we need threes, you know? And so once one team decides to do it and there's a proof of success, then here comes another team trying to do it. And so I think that's how, how it trickles down to where now when coaches are Yes, I'm a three-point shooter, so it was acceptable for me to shoot threes. Well, now coaches and the analytics say that we need to get X amount of threes up per game. So that means you need to get more threes, and we're going to have more plays for threes. And so it starts to be a thing where now the three-point, you can't survive without the three-point shot. You know, the three-point shot used to be a bonus. Now it's like if you, your team doesn't make enough threes, you can't survive. So it's, it's how the game has evolved in that aspect where – I mean, Steph Curry, I know he has a saying, and I don't know I don't know what his saying means, but it is, he has a saying that he says ruined the game. Um, I don't think he ruined it. It's great for people like me who shoot threes, but I know what – I'm pretty sure he's getting behind. Like, now everybody wants to just launch threes. Even kids, the first thing they do is they, they go and, and launch up a crazy three. You know, like, they, they probably can't even get it there. Kids are shooting threes from half court now in high school, and they barely can even make a layup. But um, he, he has changed the game. Oh, no question. Well, you've been, you've ruined the game plenty yourself, if we could borrow that phrase. And, and, <laughs> and especially since coming to Atlanta, and you, you know, you talk about the analytics. I know uh, your coach, Nikki Collin, has referred to herself, to me, as a stats nerd. And so I guess when you, when you think about the game plan, you talk about getting up the number of threes, is that just a consistent theme that's hammered home, uh, you know, there in Atlanta? No, it's not just Atlanta. I mean, it's all teams now, and the mm -hmm. analytics, you know, like, the game evolves. So even now, the big men in the game and NBA as well, you have to be able to shoot now as a big man. Like, it used to be to where, you know, if a, if, if the big can't shoot, it, it's, kind, it's okay, you know, we'll figure out ways around it. Now it's to the point where, like, you have to be able to shoot as a big man. That's going to stink to people that can't shoot. The Euro style of big man is, is, is in foul because now you can't, like, why get a big man that can't shoot when you can get one that's just as big that can? So mm -hmm. everything's kind of evolving, and it's all involving shooting, um, spreading the floor. Now you have a big man that can shoot. It spreads the floor better. Offense can be ran smoother. They can't always help in the paint off of this guy, or he'll make him pay with a three. So, again, it, it's all the game evolving, and it's all evolving around shooting. And you've got, you've got the bigs who can do it, too. I, I mean I – you know, something that I keep hoping we're going to see is Jessica Breland, who expanded her game out beyond the three-point range. Uh, she doesn't shoot as many threes. Are you hoping that Bree gets uh, more three-point shots up this year? Oh, absolutely. And and the crazy thing is she can make them. Oh, so, yeah. you know, a lot of times things like that, it's just, it's just a matter of comfortability. Yeah. So, you know, players that aren't used to shooting the three, you know, like they have to just be comfortable doing it. I've seen her shoot the three, like, you know, in drills and practice. And man, she can shoot it at a high clip. Like, she can make it. So now it's just a matter of getting her those opportunities. We have to provide her those opportunities because she's not going to just, you know, come pull up on one, a pull-up jumper. So we have to, you know, pick and pop her and get her some open looks. But she can knock them down. 
no question about it. And I, I'm excited to see the day Elizabeth Williams does, although she insists to me that she's not going to go out there beyond the three point line. So, I just, <laughs> well, you know, she says that to you all, but yeah. you know, we have some drills where she has to shoot it, mm -hmm. and she does. And 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 I, and she's one of those ones. Okay, she doesn't shoot it as a high clip as Breland, but it's not like she. There's no chance she can make it. I've seen oh, her make yeah. some. Oh yeah, and and Gulich, Gulich can get out there too. I, I mean, by the time it's all said and done, definitely be interested. So tell me about Atlanta. Now, now that you've been there, you know, settled in for a little over a year. It, it it's a city that offers so many different things, you know, culture and food. And I'm just wondering how it stands out to you uh, as far as an experience, especially you know, compared to some of the other places you've been. Oh man, it's it's not like anywhere I've been. I've actually played in places um, that don't have like the nightlife or the culture. Um, they might have. Let me not say culture because everywhere has a culture. But I played in Seattle, Connecticut, and Minnesota, so the city life was definitely not the same here um, as it is here. And I'm enjoying it. Um, it's it's and it's a give and take. So the city life is booming, and and there's lots to do. But when you play in places where there's not a lot to do, basketball is the main focus. So we were selling out in Connecticut. We were selling out in Minnesota. We were selling out in Seattle. And in Atlanta, we struggle for fan base because there's so much to choose from. So it's kind of like a gift and a curse. People have 100 things they can choose from on a Friday night. So we might be at the bottom of the list of what they choose. I mean, I guess so. It shouldn't be the case. I always get mad when I'm watching one of your games on League Pass and I see empty seats with, with the team that you guys have. I know it's been a little bit of a slow start, but just the fact that, especially now that you guys are downtown, now that you have uh, the chance to play in the same arena as the Hawks, is the in-game experience for you at least significantly different and improved being able to play, you know, at, at that legitimate NBA arena? Oh, yeah. There's no question. Um, and, and I'm thankful that Georgia Tech, you know, took us in whenever we didn't have a home because of renovations. Mm -hmm. But there's no question playing in a pro arena, playing with pro facilities and everything like that, it makes you feel like a pro. Yeah. You know, it, it's difficult whenever you're a pro and certain standards aren't met because it doesn't make you feel like a professional level. But everything at State Farm is A1 and and the the level of service in the arena is brand new and, and it makes you feel good. Yes, we would love to have fans in the stands. That that would just set the experience off because to me, you know, you feed off the fans and we had a slow start, but I'm hoping that the fans like come around, like we need to play better. And I hope so. Also the fans kind of pick up with us. Yeah. Well, listen, it's, it's to anyone in the same area, go, go see the dream. I, you can't possibly have something better even in Atlanta uh, that you're doing, but I want to take you back <laughs> before we let you go uh, and talk a little bit about what came before. And uh, I'm curious when you think back to your UConn time, first of all, how often do you go back? Do you, you know, do you visit and how often do you think about it? Um, I plan to go back more now that I'm not going overseas. Again, when you go overseas, you don't really have much time to do free things that you like to do. Um, so I had told CD, I had dinner with her. She came down to Atlanta. She was accepting an award. Um, she came down to Atlanta, I'd say a month ago. I had lunch with her. It's funny you mention it because I was just texting with Coach Ariema last night. But I'm still very well connected to my UConn ties. Uh, Jamel Elliott, you know, she works back at UConn now. Mm -hmm. She sent me a care package. Um, and it says, but I'm still very well connected to, to UConn. And, and this offseason, I definitely plan on getting back. Nice. Yeah. J Jamel needs another head coaching opportunity, too. The way things ended at Cincinnati was not fair to her, in my opinion. But that's another topic for another time. I, speaking of Geno specifically, 
you know, he has this reputation uh, and he's in your corner, obviously, forever. But I wonder, what's the maddest you ever saw Gino? <laughs> what was like the, the like ultimate Gino explosion experience like? Oh, man, that is hard to pick from. <laughs> there are a lot. Um, I got in trouble. Um, I would say I got in trouble my freshman year, and that would probably be the biggest explosion because we thought we were so clever. Um, we were there. We had camp every summer that, you know, the kids would come to camp and we would be counselors and everything for the camp. Mm -hmm. But if you had class, you didn't have to go to camp during that time. Oh, we thought we were the smartest things on the block and class was canceled. So we thought we would just sleep in a uh, big mistake. They found out and boy, did we get in trouble. So I would say that that was my uh, worst encounter with him in a sense that like, it's terrible to wake up, like, you know, to wake up a certain way, you know, when you get woken up with like terrible news. So I, that was, I thought I was going to sleep in that day and was living good and woof. <laughs> well, cl clearly that that hasn't changed even e even in the uh, more recent Yukon years, and uh, everyone has oh, that no. signature story. I I just I wonder of, of those players of of the, you know the Katie Lou and the Fisa and the players that have come over the last couple of years, Kia Nurse, Gabby Williams. Who stood out to you? Who's been the most impressive to you out of the more recent Yukon vintage? Um. Well, I would just say right now, Nafisa, Nafisa, she's playing at a crazy level. Mm -hmm. For to be a, a rookie, she's playing at a super high level. As far as um, we always assume when you went to UConn, the basketball knowledge is going to be there. Hey, I'm biased, but I know that they went through the same coaching I did. So if it's not there, you weren't paying attention. But just for her to apply that and be um, outspoken about it in a sense that the team huddles, she's huddling up the team sometime and talking in some of the huddles. So I'm, I would say I'm very impressed with her. Yeah. Yeah. I, she, she is obviously among the conver uh, in the conversation for rookie of the year, for sure. The last thing before I let you go is just, I, I came across an interview you did about a decade ago uh, when you were still oh. um, actually an, an undergraduate and uh, you were asked, is there a WNBA player that you looked up to when you were growing up? And, and you said Tisha Penichero, who was obviously a terrific choice. Uh, Tisha just being inducted into the Hall of Fame. I, I'm wondering if you could reflect a little bit upon uh, what it has meant to now be a veteran, now be in that position that Tisha was in, you know, when you were talking about looking up to her and uh, just, you know, how much it feels like things have come full circle in that way with her being enshrined in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, well-deserved, first of all. Um, congrats to her. I think it's well-deserved because she was one of the point guard pioneers in a sense that she was, like, made it cool to be a point guard, her passing ability and how she controlled the team. And she was actually a point guard that, that you know, point guards have evolved in a sense now, too, that, like, she was one of the traditional where she's passed first, she doesn't really shoot. Um, but she was just a pioneer. I mean, she made it cool to be like, I'm a point guard, you know. She made passing cool. Um, so just to see – even just the evolution of point guards. And she was one of the pioneers that, you know, made most of it happen in the sense that she was with that Sacramento team just running the show. Do you, do you ever think about the fact that in the way that you were looking up to her, that there are young point guards who were looking up to you? I always take that into account. Just even how I am on social media, how I carry myself when I'm out and about, 
um, I always take into account that somebody's kid could be watching or even an adult could be watching. And I always just take that into account to how I carry myself because I never, I never want to set an example that I wouldn't want somebody to set for my nephews or nieces. So. Hmm. Well, Renee Montgomery, Atlanta dream point guard, movie star extraordinaire and many other things to come. Thank you for taking the time to chat with us. Oh, thank you guys for having me. Seriously. That's this was fun. That's going to do it for this episode of the Yukon Pod. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to Howard Megdal and Renee Montgomery for being so generous with her time. My feet go boom, 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 boom. My heart beats boom, 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 boom. Heart speed goes zoom, 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 zoom. My feet go boom, 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 walking away from you. That's what I'm gonna do I got the same old shoes with a new attitude Why would I sing them?